I'm entitling the message, National Revival, The Urgency of the Time. The Bible clearly tells us, and history has revealed, that there has never been a revival that was not preceded by sometimes a small group of people that humbled themselves and prayed. They went and interceded for their city, their nation, their state, their family, as well as their personal lives. And they invited God to come in a powerful, moving, and mighty way. Prayer precedes any movement of God. He says, if you ask, if you call upon me, I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things that thou knowest not. So in the next few minutes, I'm going to be sharing some very strong thoughts with you from the scripture. And I want to just cover this moment with prayer. And I'm going to ask some of you real quickly, real quickly, don't wait and see who moves. But before I preach, I want to fill this altar with prayer. I want some of you right now to get up where you are and walk down here. And I'm not going to say a word of the sermon until this altar is filled across here with people that will come and pray for God to move in this service, okay? Just come, you, you just pray there. I will pray out loud. You pray where you're seated. But what we're doing is simply asking God to please come and speak to every heart out of the love of God's heart. He will speak into our heart. And he says, if you will humble yourself, call on me, I will hear you, I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things. Now I want us to all be in prayer. Those of you that are coming, just come right on. You can just stand with me here, if you will. And let me voice a prayer. But those of you that remain in your seats, would you just start praying from your heart to God as these are praying at the altar? Dear God, you're hearing every prayer. And Lord, I just feel so strongly today that you need to come and start a revival in your land through our hearts. Father, you have to find some people somewhere. And I'm asking you, Lord, to just look closely at each of our hearts. We humble ourselves. We acknowledge you, your Lord. You're our Savior, but you're our Lord. On behalf of our family, our children, our children's children, on behalf of those that we work with, that we live close to, that we shop with in the stores and drive with on the highways, that, Father, you would bring revival to our land and that you would, Father, speak through your church, not just Sagemont Church, but your church all over this nation and all over the world. And so, Father, we're calling on you, we're pleading with you, we're begging you to stop here for a moment and search our hearts. And if there be anything that's not pleasing to you, may this be the day when that's taken care of privately and personally between us and you. You're an awesome God. We love you. And it's in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, Amen and amen. Thank you so much. And just make your way back to your seat. I'm going to, if you want to stop anywhere along the way and sit down, that'll be fine too. 
I want you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever preached. And of course, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's where Jesus is speaking and where Jesus is pouring out his heart. You will notice that every time Jesus ever spoke, it wasn't long till he began to speak to his children. He would say something to maybe the wayward person, but then he would refocus back over to his disciples or to his followers. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter five and how it relates to each of us this morning. You, my children, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. But you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works, but they will glorify your Father, which is in heaven. I do not believe there's one sane person listening to me right now, knowing what you know about what is going on in your world, in your city, in your nation, in your world, nobody would argue that we are in need desperately of a revival. We have been called upon by God to be the major nation of the world to take the gospel to the world. We have done some things right and we've done a lot of things wrong. But I want to call your attention over to the New Testament with some other scripture that I have just chosen out of a lot of scriptures Colossians 1.13, here's a question. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? Who did that? God did that, right? He's the one that set us free. He's the one that sent his son. Listen to Ephesians 5.8. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Listen to this phrase, walk as children of God. First Peter 2, 9. You, us, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you are a blood-bought, born-again Christian, you have been brought out of darkness into light. If I'm talking to anybody here that thinks you were born good from good stock and you've been better than most and you've always been in the light, you don't know one thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have been blinded by Satan to think that if you just will do as good as most of the folks you work with and live with, you're going to be okay. And nothing could be farther from the truth. But... What's happened? 
I'm going to read you something here in just a moment. What's happened in our world? Why aren't we more effective? If we've got the truth and we've got the means by which to get it out, television, radio, internet, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, why is it that the darkness is covering us up little by little by little? A few days ago, I received an email from Dr. Jason Allen, the president of the Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. I received it on the 15th day of July for the relevance of what I'm fixing to tell you, 2016. Dr. Allen is president of one of the major influential seminaries of the world. He wrote this. I was going to send it to the deacons and our staff. I decided just to share it with everybody. I'm not going to read it, but I'll give you what he says in his in his email. He pointed out to all of we churches and pastors that in 1950, those that called themselves Southern Baptists, 18 people reached one in 1950. It took 18 people to reach one. Now you think of the technology, you think about the methodology back in 1950 compared to today, and let me give you today's figures. Last year, it took 51 people who said they were Christians to win one person to Jesus. In 1972, all of the Bible-believing Baptists, Southern Baptists, had a total of 445,725 baptisms. You get that number? 445,725. Last year, the baptisms of all of our Baptist churches, the tens of thousands of them, was 305,301. The last time they were that low was 1948. What's happened? What's happened? We could sit and talk for hours. Something has happened. And what has happened in our churches is being reflected in our world. What doesn't smell good in the churches is rotten in the world. We have seen our world turn on our God because of the apathy of those that say, I'm a Christian. I believe in God, I read the Bible, I pray, and I come to church on Easter. How could it get any better than that? Trying to build. We've forgotten our foundation. As Margaret Thatcher said to the church in Scotland, 1988, we want the fruits of Christianity, but we don't want the roots. We want to walk away from our holy heritage and blend into the world so that they won't think that we're strange and out of the ordinary, that we're just one of the bunch. And as a result, we're paying the price. We have majored, majored on enlightening Christians to biblical knowledge while neglecting to remind them of the urgency of the hour and the purpose for which Jesus came to this earth. I've got a question 
It's a shocking question and it'll probably draw me some emails that may not be good ones. But I've got a question for you. Christian people, Bible study people, those of you that love to study the scripture, when is the last time you were ever invited to a Bible study and the book that was written to go along with the Bible, the subject was the blood of Jesus Christ. Think about it. The Bible says the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. There's power in the blood. Let me ask you something. While you want all of your biblical knowledge, what's happened to the blood? And number two, when's the last time you had one on repentance? Let's all gather and study and pray and talk about repentance and the blood of Jesus that cleanses of all sin and can wash us white as snow. What has happened to that? What has happened to that? We have become so sophisticated and we have, some come, uh, we have become so sought up in being aloof and better than thou and puritanical that we have forgotten why Jesus came to this earth. I'm glad that you know more about the second coming of Jesus than anybody, but have you forgotten about the first coming of Jesus? Who told you that your primary thing was to get the gospel to the world, from your little world to the uttermost part of the world. Hebrews 9, 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. That'd make a good Bible study. That'd make a good reason to get a group aside, get your coffee and your notebook and your concordance and your naive topical Bible and study the blood of Jesus again. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. And that doesn't mean World War I, World War II, Korea and Vietnam. It means the blood of Jesus that was on Calvary's cross. Our churches have become so inwardly focused that the mission statement of most of them should be, what have you done for me recently? That's their mission statement. And when you don't do for me what you ought to do for me, I will go find somebody that will do for me what I want done for me. And you don't even know what you need. All you know is I'm number one. No, we're not number one. We must decrease and he must increase, right? He must be lifted up. Not us. It's not about what's the church done for you. Ask not what your country's done for you. No, what, what did he say? Ask what you've done for your country. Let me ask you this. What have you done for Jesus recently that only a Christian would do? What have you done? There's a big difference in what we want to hear and what God wants his teachers and preachers to teach and preach. And that's caused a real problem. I'm in all those circles. I've gone to all those conclaves, all those conferences. I've, I've sat at the feet of the most famous preachers of this generation and listened to them talk back and forth. And I'm seeing them by droves falling away and saying, you better stay away from hell, blood, repentance, or your buildings are going to be empty. Kind of big difference from the old country church, isn't it? I mean, you'd have guys with eighth grade educations and they'd just kind of preach till they were hoarse. 
I don't recommend that. But folks, we're a tough bunch. We're hard to bless. We're hard to please. All of us. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to the family. We are all struggling with this. But God says there's a big difference between what people want to hear and what God wants to say to them. That's all I'm saying. And I, we can challenge each other with the scripture, but your opinion or my opinion is not worth five cents. It's he said it. And if God says it, that settles it. I strongly suspect that the future and the history of America is going to be very similar to Israel. It appears as though we're on a slippery path into falling into sin that we can't do anything but waller in until God does some kind of miracle to bring revival to this world. You see, the people of Israel forgot, and we in America have forgotten what made this country great. More people believe you ought to live together than believe you ought to have to be married. Marriage is going out rapidly, rapidly. We don't care about, there's two things in the Bible that we cannot mess with. Number one is marriage. It was God's first earthly institution. God's put it together. He said, this is what it's going to be. It's the first thing I'm telling you. When the homes start falling apart and we don't know what a home is, then we don't know what a church is. When we don't know what a church is, we don't know what a city is supposed to be or a state or a nation. And that is happening. And number two, God made it very clear. I established marriage and I created human beings. And you better not touch my little ones. And America, if it has not already, has murdered 60 million babies that are on record. And we're still arguing. And it's a great political point to just say, I believe everybody has the freedom to do what you can. You got a freedom if you accept the consequences of doing what you want to. Now you say, I've already done it. Thank God for the blood of Jesus that cleanses from all sin. Hey, we've all sinned, folks. Join the crowd. But for you to say that's not a sin when God says it is a sin. They are the greatest in the kingdom of God. And when you destroy your babies, you destroy your social security. And you destroy your military and the economy goes into shambles when a group of people take out 60 million of their heirs. And we sit here and scratch our head and wondering, am I right? I don't know whether I'm right or wrong, but I know who is right. And I'm still capable of reading it. Don't touch my little ones. It would be, it'd be better if a millstone was hung around your neck and you were buried in the bottom of the sea as a nation. Don't touch my little ones. Well, what do you think is going to happen to America if it doesn't repent? Anybody want to argue about America's change in the last 40, 50 years? People, people, we're going to have, I'm going to tell you some good news. We're going to have 300 parents for lunch today of teenagers and we're going to talk. We're going to talk about our kids. We, we, we booked up over there for lunch today. People say, 
Boy, I tell you, people aren't coming to church anymore. No, they're not going to high school football games anymore either. They're not going to anything to support their kids anymore. The kids go do their thing. They go do their thing. And we wonder, why don't we have wonderful families? Well, where are you going to bring them all together? How about the church? How about the body of Christ? How can you convince the little ones that nobody loves you more than your family does? How can you get kids to pay attention to those that are around them instead of having to talk to somebody on the phone that's somewhere else? It's the people that you come in contact with that really make a difference in your life, face-to-face, hand-to-hand, right? Well, God comes along and he says, uh, you know, America, except you repent, you're going to perish. Well, we've got some good ideas, don't we? What we need to do is register our guns. Make it easier to get abortions. Make sure that anybody can live together and have all the benefits of the laws, don't have marriage. That's crazy. I mean, if you get a marriage, you'd have to get a divorce. I mean, what about that? You know, went on and on and on. And let's make sure that all of our kids get a free education in schools that'll teach them that there is no God. That all these things the devil stands for is okay. But let's send our kids free to those schools and let them finish them off. I don't think so, folks. I think the church has still got some fire in it. It's not blazing, but we got a fire in it. We're going to ask this church to come to surround our teens either Wednesday night or Friday night before school starts out here in the parking lot. And we're going to start with a little fire and challenge our kids to come and put a piece of wood in that fire if they'll live for God this year and, and, and practice what they learned at Bible school, church camps, Pine Cove, the student camp for the, for the intermediate school, the high school, and then ask you parents and friends to come and stand around the circle of the cross and, and say to our kids, we're going to be praying for you this year if you'll take a stand for God. And it's going to be interesting to see how many adults show up. Rather than, well, we'll drop them off and go to a movie and we'll come back and pick you up after the movie. Why don't you come be with them? See what I'm saying, folks? I'm not fussing at you. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. The truth is what's going to set us free. I've got to come to reality. We're not reaching our kids because we're not paying the price it takes to reach the kids. You can't turn them over to a babysitter. You've got to rear them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. America's plan must not be to welcome sin and protest or, or protect our borders, I should say, from sinners. That's not a political statement. It's just the fact. Sin's what needs to be kept out of America. Right. Not people, sin. And for God to put a people together that'll live for him would be an awesome, awesome, awesome thing. Amen. I think we ought to support God's agenda rather than a political agenda. What do you think? Why don't we study not what the Democrats or the Republicans are going to do, but what would God do if he were president? We say, well, he's not on the ballot. Oh, yes, he is. And by the way, it doesn't matter who wins, he'll still be in charge. He just hadn't decided what he's going to do yet. See, he doesn't have a platform that's changed from the platform in Genesis 1-1. And it's going to stay the same. But God's been good to America, hasn't he? Ah, goodness, every person who's willing to be honest with themselves and others knows that America's rapidly changing. When we take the Bible away, don't have to put your hand on the Bible. 
We don't, we're going to take in God we trust off the money. We're not going to let our children pray in the public schools. We're going to do that, but God, I know. Jesus loves me, this I know. Uh, be careful. God is not mocked. The Bible says, whatsoever we sow, we will all likewise reap. We can't do what Israel did and expect not to get through. Those were God's chosen people. Read what happened to them when they rejected God. And don't think it won't happen here. Some are voting for the candidates. Some are going to vote for the country. I hope we're all going to vote for God. And if America's headed in the wrong direction, and I think we are, if it doesn't change, what's going to happen? Not 50 years from now. Clock is ticking quick. Real, real quick. So hear me, Christians, church family, those of you that are watching or listening. If we stand by and do nothing, we're going to risk the blessings of God being taken away from this country. That's what we're risking. And if every single one of us would get by ourselves and don't argue with each other, just take it up with God. And if what I'm saying is not true, let God tell you it's not true. But I don't think he's going to change his book. He hadn't in my lifetime. No, you can't just change the oil and get a tune-up. You need a complete makeover. Amen. And most of America needs to be born again. Amen. That's the complete makeup. And then when that comes in, other things can happen that are good. I love Nolan Ryan. Old Nolan, he's a good baseball player. He's terrible on commercials, but he is something else. <laughs> but there's one that with his old Southern Alvin accent like I've got. He's sitting there on the couch. He turns to the other Bubba that's sitting there and he said, Bubba, you got a foundation problem. <laughs> hey, Christians, we got to know the foundations laid in that which is Jesus Christ. Our foundation is solid rock. We don't have to work on the foundation. We got to work on the building. And the building is infested. If you don't like bugs, you got lots of them. Spiritual or unspiritual bugs. Little critters that are out to destroy. Hebrews 1.10 says, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we're all labors together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto you as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds thereupon, but let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. Take heed how you build thereupon. Gold, silver, and precious stones, not wood, hay, and stubble. Because that scripture goes on to say one day the fire is going to challenge it. And some's going to be burned up, but we'll be saved, according to the scripture. What is frightening is that most believers have heard 2 Chronicles 7, 14. My people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, I'll heal their land. The bad thing is we've heard it and don't do anything about it. But that can change, folks. That can change. I want it to change in my life. The last few weeks, I've had time to spend a lots of time in prayer. 
I'm to the point in my life when I need to know God's will, exactly. Not only for myself, but for, and more important, for the kingdom of God. But we've got to seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he's near. Because if I was God, I'd have checked it to you a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? I'd have given up on me a long time ago. But thank God for his patience. But if we stay preoccupied with our own agenda and refuse to obey, we're in trouble. Timing is everything. If you do sports, it's timing. Investing, timing is very important. Marriage, very important. Cooking, very important. Buying, selling, very important. Timing is. Opening a business, closing a business, very, very important. Waiting, going. When do I wait? There's a time to go. There's a time to stop. God, show me those times. But momentum is everything. Politics, they're talking about that. Championships, the Olympics are here. War, momentum, momentum, momentum. The enemies fighting each other. But here's our challenge. And you may want to argue this. But if the news media would put it up, Satan has the momentum. You hear me? Amen. Satan has, has the momentum. The churches are dying and the world is stacking them in. And they're falling like flies. Every single night we see the killings and shootings in Houston, Texas and the surrounding areas. And I lived here 21 years in Pasadena, Texas and there was not one murder in the Pasadena Independent School District and 21 years in any of the city of Pasadena. Now, what happened? When I was a boy, there was a bunch of strong churches. There was a Methodist, there was a Presbyterians, and there was the Baptists, and there was the what's happening now, uh, what they call themselves, uh, independence. I kind of like that word, they're independent of everything but God. I kind of like the word, all right? But what I'm saying is, the churches were full. The little league would not think about going against the church. Those things they laugh at today. Isaiah 54, 17, I've got to leave you with some good news. It says no weapon is formed against us is going to prosper if we indeed live like the children of God. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? It is time to do right on purpose, folks. What would happen I've got to close, but what would happen if Jesus walked in this church right now? What would happen to you, to me? What would happen? What would you do? What song would we sing? First song, what would it be? Think about it. Would this altar be empty like it is most Sundays if Jesus showed up? Would the sermon be changed? Would the invitation that's being offered be changed? Would baptism be in progress? Would people be praying everywhere? You know what starts every revival ever? When God's people in God's churches start praying and quit being ashamed of their faith. And, and we're willing to say to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me.
I want to follow you. I want you to be my God and I want to be your people. Love between members would lead them to Christ-like concern for one another. Some would want to talk to Jesus if he showed up. Thanking him for salvation. Asking for prayer, for healing, for comfort. If Jesus showed up. God's word would come alive. It began, and it would begin to convict. It began to clarify issues. But God's word would be preached in the pulpits. We would immediately want to serve him if he showed up. Lord, what would you have me to do? I've done nothing for 25 years. Wrote a few letters that I complained. But other than that, that's been about my only service to try to help the folks. But what would happen if Jesus showed up and said, I need some people to follow me? Because we've got young people and kids and older people and healthy people and sick people and on and on and on. What would happen if Jesus showed up? In times of revival, on every occasion, conviction came to the people that were revived to start telling people that are lost about Jesus. Always. Always. And then spiritual warfare would break out in the lives of some. And the demons began to attack in many of those revivals. But God's people that remained strong won the battle. Thanks to the blood of Jesus. Thanks to the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks to the diversity of those that God has called out of the world into his marvelous light. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, listen to this. He was a man, I tell you, he was some kind of a preacher. If you never met, I've got all the works of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was probably the greatest preacher ever. But here's something. He had a sense of humor. Listen to what he said. Here's what he called a revival. It's seasons of glorious disorder. Think about that. Well, I didn't know we were going to have that. Or I'd have been there. Can you imagine that? If we had revival here one Sunday and God just broke open, people got saved, people would say, man, I wish I'd have been there. If I'd have known that was going to happen, I'd have been there. But I just had no idea. Nobody called me. Nobody told me. You, you might have found out in prayer if you'd have just, the Lord might have put a little bug in your ear and told you to call sister so-and-so and she told you, oh, by the way, you're going to be at church on Sunday? You know what's going to go on? Oh, my goodness. Jesus said, whosoever will can come and follow him. Not just his disciples. Amen. Everybody. And so it would be very clear. He reached over, you remember, and he got the little child and brought him over. Said, even my little ones, they can follow me. You can too, folks. Amen. 